Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Living free. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kHz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and with my show co-hosts, we'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and acknowledge that this land was stolen and sovereignty was never ceded. Each week on The Living Free Show, we showcase one of the many programs that assist in recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saved lives. My guest today is a compulsive drinker who's recovering with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'd like to welcome Janelle to the show. Hi, Janelle. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Um, We usually um, talk about your life and particularly your recovery story. But we like to start off um, early family life and as a child and, and the sort of kid you were and the sort of things that influenced you and, and you know, how your family influenced your life. Yeah, sure. Um, so I was – it's so funny. It's like I was born, you know, um, uh, into a family where my – father's family didn't necessarily accept my mother's family um, and so when I was born I very much was made aware that that we were I guess products of that um, never felt very loved from our, our grandparents um, however I mean I remember they would lock us outside um, for the day and we'd be banging on the doors to come in, but we weren't allowed in. Um, and we, I mean, <laughs> I lived with mum, dad, and my sister. Um, and my father was not very well. So what you would call, I guess, these days um, bipolar he was manic depressive um, and was sort of in and out of institutions or hospitals for a lot of my early childhood one time my grandmother his mother discharged him um, and back to our house because there was no way her son was going to be in an institution um, so we grew up very much on, on eggshells, um, wanting to not, uh, make him angry, not wanting to change his mood. We never knew what mood he would be in, um, and just trying our best as children, um, to do what it was that we thought he wanted, um, I was more of the rebellious child where I would still push boundaries, um, whereas my sister 
very much sat back and tried to do what she was told and um, very much more introverted and, you know, I was the one pretty much running around trying to climb trees and break things and, um, (laughs) you know. Um, And then at the age of when I was six years old, um, my father lost his battle with his mental illness and took his own life. Um, And we were thrust into, I guess, a single parent family uh, where my mum worked some pretty long hours to to keep us afloat. Um, I still remember her sitting at the table with the old checkbook out, you know, balancing the books. And, you know, we never went without. Um, but I know now that she went without so that we, yeah. we wouldn't. <clears throat> um, with mum working long hours, I was left to my own devices quite a lot. So was your sister older or younger? Uh, my sister's two years older than me. Okay. Um, we didn't really get along in early childhood. Um, Why was that? I Honestly, I just think we had two different personalities, mm. you know. You were the annoying I was, little sister. <laughs> I was very annoying, um, you know, play with me, play with me, look at me, you know. And even in hindsight, you know, we just have two different interests, even in adulthood, different music tastes, different, very much polar opposites. Um, So I just don't think that we, you know, whilst I wanted her to show me attention and play with me, you know, she wanted to be alone and listen to her music or whatever, you know. Um, so we'd get home after school and she'd she'd want to lock herself in the bedroom and I, I would want to, you know, hey, come on, let's... Do older kids stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah very much so. Um, and because mum wasn't home uh, when, we, when I got home from school, um, that was also my chance to raid the cupboards, raid the fridge, I, you know. Um, there was never enough food in the house to satisfy my... <laughs> My needs either, um, I remember I used to microwave two pies after school, even before dinner, Mm. Um, (laughs) you know, like one pie wasn't enough. Um, Yeah. So so what about friendships then at primary school? Yeah, sure. Primary school was a pretty difficult time um, for me. It sounds, um, I don't know how it sounds, but. You know, it was very much like the movie Mean Girls, where I was part of a group where we were, I guess, what you would class as popular, but there was always one person who would dictate um, what we did, who we were friends with, and one day you'd be in, the next day you'd be out. And and I remember being out of that group for like sometimes up to two or three weeks and that would mean nobody talking to me um no one from any group um because you know here I was joining in with the main things the main girls did but when they would isolate me no one wanted to talk to me anyway because I was part of that group Mm. um instability affect you within your friendship groups at the time yeah I just it was constantly being um I guess looking for validation I I feel like 
especially since even my father had died, it was like, never feel like you left me. Now they're doing this. It was always like, I just want something constant, something stable. And yeah, the friendships, you couldn't be open and honest or anything because you knew it would get used against you or, you know, um, I remember getting head lice like every child does and it was like, oh, Janelle, you come from this kind of family and you have head lice because you're dirty and, you know. Um, so I never felt like I fitted in even from a young age and I didn't necessarily want to be a part of that group but not being a part of that group meant I would get bullied. Mm. So mm. it was like either survive being a bully or get bullied. So what was your introduction to drugs, alcohol, smoking, etc.? Was that (laughs) primary school? It was at primary school. Um, I remember actually going away to stay at my mum's friend's for a weekend and her older daughter had actually stolen a packet of cigarettes out of her mum's carton of cigarettes um, and took me down to the beach and we sat there and smoked the whole packet of cigarettes. People could afford a carton back then. (laughs) (laughs) And obviously didn't notice a whole packet was missing. Um, And I remember this head rush and just thinking, oh, I like, I don't know what this is, but it feels naughty and I like Mm. it. Was it a bit overwhelming, like going through that whole packet? the first time Uh, I think I just wanted to prove that I was cool enough you know Mm. like looking once again for that validation um you know look I can I can do this too um I want to be cool I want to you know I I look at that now and and think that and I remember once we got home and started living day to day um, you know, my mum would leave her packet of cigarettes out on the dining room table um, and, you know, depending on how many cigarettes she'd have, I'd be like, oh, I'll just take a couple. And I'd, I'd, Usually it was two so that I could have one out my window that night and one in the morning when she left for work. Um, and I would be furious if there were only a couple left because I knew I couldn't steal them and then that would be a 24-hour period without any cigarettes. Um, how dare she? Yeah, exactly, right? Um, And back then, I think a packet of cigarettes was about $5, and I got $5 pocket money, and that worked out perfectly, you know, um, getting someone to buy you a packet of cigarettes, and then you'd have your own. Um, I remember I was wearing a pair of dungarees once and I don't know why I was so brazen. I had the packet of cigarettes in the front pocket of the dungarees and mum just saying to me, look, I'm out of cigarettes. I know you smoke. Just give me one, you know. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, it started at that young age, but once I got into um, left primary school, uh, that's sort of when things started escalating in regards to smoking more, um, being, being, I guess, rebellious to a certain extent um, and as rebellious as you can be at that age, um, you know, shoplifting here and there, um, wagging school, um, trying to look cool. 
and worried about what other people thought all the time, thinking I wasn't good enough. Mm. All my friends look like this and I look like this. If only I had what they had. Nobody understands me. If you had the life I had. Typical adolescent, yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, like, I guess whenever anything bad happened, I'd just, you know, at least your father didn't kill himself, you know. It was like this crutch as well. (laughs) Yes, um, it is interesting, isn't it? So what did you form different friendships at school, in secondary school? Yeah, so in secondary school, um, so primary school dispersed. Um, I think all my group went to different schools, um, and a young, a young girl and her family moved down the street from us, um, and we became really good friends. And we would walk to school, and I started getting a new group of of, of friends, and they were. In all honesty, quite innocent. I was more of the rebel of the group and I started introducing them to, you know, smoking, um, coming over to my house after school while my mum's at work, eating all the ice cream, um, you know, we would organise, oh, why don't we, you know, get a bottle of wine to share or something, you know. Um the that's when I think I was introduced to alcohol. I remember um, I would have been about 13, 14, and I remember the girl down the road, her mum gave her two Miami wine coolers. And I was like, you know, what is this kind of thing? And I had a sip of it, and I was like, oh, okay. And then we went to this party and there was, you know, even at 13, 14, there seemed to be everybody was drinking and, you know, here to the young ones like us, you know, have a drink, here, have a drink. And all of a sudden, I felt like I fitted in. I'd Mm. never fitted in before. Mm. And all of a sudden, it was like, oh, wow, my my head's not going what will they think of me what am I doing you know I don't look like her da, 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 da. Um, and you know I've heard it said before you know and it's quite cliche you know it's like I lit up like a Christmas tree mm. um, and I guess from that day forward it was like I was just searching for that feeling again um, chasing the dragon kind of very thing. much so um, and at such a young age as well, I wanted other people to want that as well. Um, you know, it would be like, oh, whose who's parents' liquor cabinet can we raid? Or oh, what's the best um, putting together of rocket fuel? I remember putting together a Kalua, Malibu and Baileys and thinking, oh, my God, this is just like a milkshake. This is the best yeah. taste ever. And then putting together a, a like a Galliano vodka and gin or something and breathing fire and being like, I'm still drinking it, you know. Yeah. It, it was uh, never yeah. for the taste, but if it did taste mm. okay, yeah, you know. Yeah, that was a bonus, yeah. Mm. Um, and there were a couple of kids who were allowed out more than some of my closer friends. So I tended to gravitate towards them. Um, 
nights where we're going to stay at their house and their parents would be like, yeah, you can go out, you know, and we'd roam the streets and drink alcohol and Mm. raid clothing bins and just do risk-taking kind of behaviours. And enabling each other. Very much so. Um, And... One thing I guess I've learned is that I tend to seek out people that that drink like me or mm. smoke like me or, you know, it's like I don't want to look like the only one doing this. But I thought it, only in hindsight do I think that. At the time I'm thinking, well, you know, these yeah. people are fun. They know how yeah. to live. Yeah, they've, they've got it, yeah. Um, so what about leaving school? How did things change? Well... <clears throat> Uh, There was a period there where I did change schools and I went to boarding school um, and although my grades were better, um, I did did exactly the same thing. I stayed at school till that, oh my gosh, I'm showing my age, till seventh form, which I think is year 12 now, um, more because... I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to go out and work. That uncertainty, um, you know, I left work, uh, sorry, left school, got a job working a breakfast shift at a hotel. Um, I was very lucky that my mum had actually installed in me very good work ethic um, and they promoted me and then I started working in their corporate business of apartment letting and it was pretty much just now I've got the money mm. to drink how I want to drink. Um, and by that point, I was sort of 18 and I started um, seeing a guy who was quite a bit older than me. And that's, I think, when I could really drink how I wanted to drink, you know. At that point, I was still only 18, and the legal drinking age was 20. He was a lot older, so I was able to just keep up with him and drink and drink and drink. And to me, he made it look normal. Like, it's okay that you drink this much or whatever. And... I was living at home, but I was staying at his house, so no one was seeing how I was drinking. Um, And the only reason we split up was because my mum got remarried um, and moved over here. To Australia. To Australia. Yes, sorry, I'm from New Zealand. (laughs) Um, And I came over here and the legal drinking age was 18. (laughs) And it was like, it was like Christmas. And I couldn't believe how cheap the alcohol was. Mm. Like, it was just amazing. Like, here I was able to drink the way I wanted because I was of age and it was cheap. Mm. It was just, and at this point, I, you know, I honestly did not believe I had a problem mm-hmm. at all. Like, yeah. there was no connection there at all. Yeah. Okay. Well, so we might take a short break there. Yeah. Here at 3CR on the 15th of June, we're hosting our annual Radiothon fundraiser, and we need your help. You can make a difference by donating. Your support keeps 3CR broadcasting unique conversations 
great music and diverse voices. If you're a fan of Living Free, help us reach our show's target of $2,000. Call 3CR anytime and keep the Living Free show alive. Support Living Free. Stay tuned to 3CR and stay radical. Every Wednesday at 11am, join me, Bunzolini, at the fire and Community Radio 3CR. Three hours of historically informed, critical analysis of Aboriginal affairs and the ongoing political movement for land rights, treaty, sovereignty and the cessation of genocide. Featuring the best of black music. Bundles Fire, 11am to 2pm, every Wednesday on Community Radio 3CR. Ah, welcome back. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR. 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you'd like to listen to one of our many podcasts, uh, you can find us on your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free and check out our website. Uh, you can also contact us via phone, email or Twitter. Uh, today I'm talking with Janelle and we're talking about compulsive drinking and her recovery through Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so Janelle, um, before the break we were just talking about... Um, leaving school and getting mm-hmm. finally getting enough money to drink mm-hmm. and getting into relationships. So do you want to talk about where, where your drinking took you and the sort mm-hmm. of life you are leading? Yeah, um, I feel like I can sum that up pretty quickly. It took me nowhere and took a lot from me, but um, <laughs> I'll elaborate on that. Um, so... I think I had mentioned I'd moved over to Australia with my mum, but uh, the gentleman that I was seeing before I left, the older man, um, paid for me to move back to New Zealand. Um, So I moved back and that relationship lasted two weeks. um, And I ended up living on a friend's couch um, in... I guess what you would refer to as an eclectic part of town. Um, every second house was kind of like a drug dealer house. There was the, you know, just an, a bit of an undesirable area. Yeah. Um, was that the neighbourhood you were initially living with? No. Okay, it was your friend's place. It was, yeah, just okay. a friend's place. And we decided to move into a place together and another person. Um, and... That's where everything sort of, I guess, escalated from what I know now with the disease of alcoholism. It it progresses. Um, And, you know, we were going out to clubs, pubs, drinking. You know, by that point, I was smoking marijuana. Um, It was just a, a time of my life where it felt like utter freedom. Um, and I started working in a call centre for a bank, um, which was a 24-hour call centre, um, and it was 
you know, Monday to Friday, good hours. Everyone would go out for drinks on a Friday night, um, and that was great. Um, you know, everyone kind of drank almost the way I drank, not realising that that was their Friday night. And they didn't know I was also sort of doing that Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Yep. But I was just out with other people on a Friday. Um, and it, I decided that I didn't like the constraints of corporate life. And I had been, this is such crazy, you know, you get these memories back. Um, I'd been getting my nails done and the nail technician that was doing my nails was going out every weekend. She was married. She was like, yeah, you should come and get a, you know, do a course on becoming a nail technician and get a little thing here. And I was like, yeah, why not? You know, so I quit my job and decided that I needed to supplement my income while I was going to start a business. Um, So I looked up ads in the local paper and got a job at a bar, um, waitressing. Um, And, you know, I was also, it was encouraged to drink on the job um, because you were trying to upsell drinks. You were talking other people into drinking. Hey, I drink with me. It was like being a hostess at, uh, you know, adult entertainment. Um, And, you know, apparently, according to my boss, I was a very good salesperson, getting a lot of money over the bar. Um, And he promoted me um, to becoming the upstairs uh, madam in the brothel. And that's when things really escalated with the drinking and um, drugs became a bigger part there as well. it was just everywhere and it was encouraged and I was in an environment where people were so much worse than me that I was like, these are my kind of people. They don't, they... No expectation. They, yeah. No, <laughs> like there was literally no expectation, you know. And I'd get home at 9am in the morning after finishing my shift, try to sleep. Um, you know, I was working hours that were crazy People were coming in that were like, I guess, bouncers and bar workers that would come in at the end of their shift to drink. So if I wanted to go out, I'd get led into all the clubs because you know, it was just living mm. this life until I realised my <laughs> there was a pinnacle moment um, where I felt that my life was actually in danger um, and I realised that this was more dangerous and maybe I was a little bit more naive than I thought I was Um, and I thought I'll just go back to corporate. Um, Needless to say that my nail career didn't take off Um, (laughs) and I decided to get back into corporate and during that period I met (laughs) my first hostage which was my husband. after a night out drinking with work people where I'd made a complete fool of myself. Um, And so we've been together now for 17 years um, and he would come out on the weekend and drink with me. 
Um, but he could give or take it. And it was really once I started living with him and he could give or take it that I was like, why doesn't he want to drink? Like, I just don't get it. I don't mm. understand after seeing how much fun you have and how yeah. it takes you out of your own head, why wouldn't you want to do that too? Um, and were you always the same person uh, when you were drunk or oh, did no. it exacerbate different characteristics? Uh, was it unpredictable? That's a really good question. Um, I thought that I was fun and more fun. I got told by a friend that they nicknamed me Pocket Janelle, meaning that, you know, whenever we're having a bad night, we just want to be able to pull you out of our pocket and we know it's going to be a good night. Um, but not to the people I cared about. Um, so my husband would, when we were like going out, It'd get to the end of the night and he'd try and talk to me and my catchphrase was always, I don't get it. I don't get it. What are you trying to say? I don't mm. get it. I also became very, very uh, abusive to people out and about if I didn't get my own way or if they, I would just start fights. Someone looked at me the wrong way. Um, I had a very razor cut tongue um, and... I would use that a lot. Um, and what I didn't realise is a lot of the time I would also have blackouts during the night, not the whole night, and people would say, oh, do you remember such and such happening or whatever? I'd be like, no. Mm-hmm. Um, and by this point, you know, I was like, you know what? I know what will help me give up drinking. Um me and my husband, you know, I got pregnant and I was like, yep, this I can definitely give up now, you know. Um, and I didn't drink for nine months. And I was like, well, obviously I don't have a problem because I didn't drink for nine months. And um, the day after I gave birth, a girlfriend came to the hospital with a bottle of wine and a glass to celebrate. Mm. Um, and it, I, I remember going on Google, how long after a drink can I breastfeed? And, you know, like doing all this math around when I could drink. And then and then when she went on the bottle, I was like, yes, you know. Um, and it then started escalating from there. And, and it, I was – what I know now is that it, it, the second I picked it up, it just went straight back to where it was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It doesn't matter how long you stop. It's when you can't stop when you started, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, and it just was so out of hand, but that still wasn't my rock bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, I went on to have two more children. Uh, my drinking probably tripled. Um, so, I, so what was it that caused you to think that you've had enough? <laughs> you've got to do something. Well, I thought it a lot, but never seriously. And I promised to give up many times and meant it at the time mm. only to drink the next day. Um, there was a pinnacle moment in time um, where I was lying in bed and I had an open bottle of wine next to me um, because I didn't want to have to go back and forth to the fridge and my husband see how much I was drinking. Um, and I decided to watch a documentary, um, Addicted Australia, and I thought it would be hilarious to watch all the alcoholics and drug addicts. Um, 
And I started watching it and I binge watched it. And by the end of it, I was in tears um, because I related to a couple of the stories. And I walked into the lounge where my husband was and he was like, what's wrong? You know, because I'd been crying and the words just came out of my mouth. I need help. And, and I think that was the first time I realised I didn't have the willpower to do it. I couldn't do it alone. Mm. I needed help. Um, and I think the look on my husband's face was almost of relief, you know. Mm. At like, last, yeah. Yeah, you know. Um, I always thought that I was such a staunch, independent woman that could do anything, that, you know, if I really wanted to give up, I could. And that realisation was like a surrender of of just being, I can't do this, I need help. Um, so I rang up the place that featured on the documentary, which happened to be five kilometres away um, from where I lived, and they had a place for me within two weeks. Uh, they did say, you know, don't stop drinking cold turkey. You could go into detox and um, DTs. Um, my alcoholic brain was like, they're telling me I can drink as much as I like for the next two weeks. Um, Most people do. When they know they're going to rehab, they think, I'll just <laughs> give it a burn. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and a girlfriend dropped me off and my beautiful husband took on the role of mum and dad, which I guess he'd been doing a lot of for the, mm. for the last however many years anyway. Um, and I, I guess, got all my ducks in a row and went in um, to there and I was still... <sighs> looking around going, I'm not as bad. I'm not as bad as everybody else in here, you know. You've almost got to overcome your own ego. You know, I'm independent. 100%. I actually wrote a diary for every day I was in there. And to look back on it is almost cringeworthy of how much in denial I truly was. Um, I mean, when... I got out from those 10 days. I decided to clean out the garage. And I probably should have taken a photo. To, but um, <laughs> the amount of empty bottles I had hid in that garage was phenomenal. Like I'm talking probably about 50 or 60 bottles, if not more. Mm. Um and I got my husband out to look at it, and just the fact that I had lied and manipulated, and there was no, he had no idea they were hidden in all different places. Um, but yeah, I credit um, that detox for getting me sober. Um, and in that detox, I was lucky enough that. Uh, a couple of people from the AA Fellowship came in to do a, a talk um, and this woman walked in and the first thought that went through my head was, yeah, right, she's an alcoholic, look at her, well-to-do with her handbag and her nice hair and my, my judgy pants on. Um, and she told her story and it was my story. 
you know, she was a mother, she'd been through it, she talked about um, how, you know, she just felt like she never fitted in and this was her only relief, that her head would stop talking. And here I was thinking I was the only person in the world that thought that. Mm. You know, I was yeah. uniquely special. Terminally unique, I think they call yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's like, you know, you're special and unique just like everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, listen, we might take a short break there. 3CR's annual Radiothon fundraiser launches in June. We need your financial support to be independent, community-controlled and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon keeps the station radical and enables us to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference and all donations over $2 are tax deductible. 3CR Radiothon, show your support during June 2023. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. Uh, welcome back. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR on digital radio, live streaming on 3cr.org.au. And today we're talking with Janelle and we're talking about alcoholism and compulsive drinking and her recovery through Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so Janelle, before the break, you were talking about being in rehab. So what was the pivotal point in rehab that helped you the most? I think the pivotal point in rehab well the pivotal point was was standing in my lounge saying I need help yeah um once I was in rehab I want I I wanted it and I thought that that yep this rehab will sort me out um but hearing the woman from AA she wasn't necessarily just talking about my my story or or you know childhood and and so on it was about the anxiety and and the, the head chatter and how alcohol was wasn't her problem that her thinking was her problem mm. and alcohol was her solution mm. and i was like oh my god that is what I related to was I didn't necessarily have a drug and alcohol problem. I had a thinking problem and drugs and alcohol took that thinking away and numbed all my thoughts and 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 I could just feel like, you know, I could walk along going dump de doo um, and not feeling like I had to solve the world's problems um, or what people thought of me or what this, you know, my head never shut up. And I thought I was the only person, as I said, that thought that way. And to hear this woman who, from AA, and they recommended, you know, plan your first meeting before you even get out of of the, the place you are, you know, um, and so I got out on a Monday, and that Monday night I was at a meeting. Um, I started to listen, um, but I, 
I keep getting told, you know, learn to listen, listen to learn. And that was the thing is I had spent almost my whole life listening to you in order to think of something to say back to you. So I'm not really listening to Mm. you. My head's ticking over constantly of what I need to say next, what you think of me, what's going to make you happy. And it was exhausting. Um, And I needed something else to replace that. So you're going to take away my solution, which is alcohol. I'm now left with my thinking. So what I just go on holding on for dear life wanting to probably kill myself because I no longer have alcohol and I no longer um, have like any way of coping with this and that's what Alcoholics Anonymous has, has, has given me the tools of how to deal with life you know hearing other people and I think someone told me very early on, you know, um, listen for the similarities and not the differences. Mm. Um, If you want what we've got, do what we did. Um, You know, all these cliches that at the beginning I was like, oh, that's so cringy. And I find myself pulling them out all the time, you know, when I'm feeling like things might get too much or there's a situation one of my favorites is you know this too will pass like everything in life passes the good times the bad times the good times the bad times you know it's really more about how I'm reacting to it that that is is that way of thinking Mm. um so I I had to stop thinking and just doing yep go to the meeting yep don't talk yourself out of it just go and putting in that action um of getting my butt there um and then once I was there was actually what people say is you know get in the middle and it occurred to me that What that means to me is, as a kid, we used to play this trust game where you stood in the middle of a circle and you could fall any way and someone would catch you. Mm. And that's what I associated with. If I'm in the middle of this and I'm doing the service, I'm doing the steps, I'm connecting with people, not necessarily when I, I need it selfishly, that when I do need it, I can fall in any direction and someone's got me or something's Mm. got me. Um, And staying connected with people is also something that if I can't use it in the good times, there's no way I'm picking up the phone in the bad times, Mm. you know. Um, And I had to stop thinking I knew everything (laughs) I heard one guy say it in in a meeting once and it's really resonated with me you know the first thing you have to do is when you get into AA is resign from your job as CEO of the universe Hmm. thinking you can control everything and if everybody just did it your way everything would be so much better 
Um, but I feel like that relates back to trust and trusting those around you and when you need those people. And and also being around the people that will tell you the truth, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't want someone to enable me all over again and be like, oh, it's so bad that you feel this way. Mm. You should definitely go out and have a drink. That'll make it or, – or playing into my pity party. Um mm. You know, I I recently um, decided to throw a pity party and, yeah. and um, I invited all what I refer to as my character defects, my self-pity, my um, anger, my fears, everything. But you know what? Parties have to come to an end. And, and you have to realise that it's just that self-deprecation of woe is me. And I'm just going to end up mm. picking up a drink because I am an alcoholic. Um, and it's the people who keep wanting to party and, you know, they don't realise that the party's coming to an end that do... Well, that's me. Me. I am the party. I'm going to mm. find a party wherever I go. I'm going to find a drink wherever I go. Mm. I think the realest thing that ever got said to me <laughs> was, you are an alcoholic. You are going to drink again without another solution. And that solution for me is doing the steps, doing the recommended things every day, having a practice that I I need to do because I know when I'm running rough. And if I'm running rough, the next thing I'm going to do is pick up a drink. Mm, You know, they say that your, your sobriety and your running rough, you know, you, you pick up a drink at the end of it, not at the beginning, so don't you, run rough, yeah. Don't run rough <laughs> or pick it up or be around those right people. You yeah. know, AA mm. has given my children back their mother. AA has given my husband a wife he's never had. Not mm. back a wife, a wife he mm. never had. Mm. I'm a better daughter. Um, I enjoy life on life's terms. I could never say that before. So how has your relationship with your children changed? (sighs) I think I can sum that up in one story, a quick story. Um, I was baking with my then seven-year-old and she broke an egg on the bench and she flinched and looked at me. And then the relief came over her face. She said, oh, that's right. Ever since you went to that woman's retreat, a.k.a. rehab, um, you don't do that anymore. That anxiety left her. The the walking on eggshells, not knowing what mood mum's going to be in. I truly believe that my children have a safe place at our house and in a room with me emotionally um it's opened up real conversations a closeness they're not constantly wondering what mum's unpredictability is going to do um you know because either i'm drinking and i'm happy or angry or i'm not drinking and i'm wanting to so i'm restless irritable and discontent so yeah. <laughs> I'm unpredictable either way. Yeah. So I'm I'm present for my children, you know. Which is good. Yeah. 
I'm not just, yeah, I'm not just in a room with them. I'm mentally present with them. Yeah. That's good. Um, if anybody would like to find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, you can phone them in Australia on 1300 2 or jump online at aa.org.au for more information about recovery and meetings. Uh, so that's all about all we've, all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Janelle for sharing her alcoholism recovery story with us and talking about how Alcoholics Anonymous has helped her recovery. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we uh, will talk about recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Uh, coming up next, we have Balanoir, The Spirit of War, hosted by Uncle, Uncle Talgum Choco Edwards. Join Uncle Choco in The Spirit of War on a journey of belonging and movement through sing-alongs and yarns. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.